This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks. Um, hey, uh, we've, been, we've been kind of in a series uh, called Aliens, kind of going through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, I just, I, we're doing a standalone message today, so we're not continuing in that series. Next week, we will pick up in that series. Uh, so just wanted to kind of give you a heads up of what we were doing today. Um, before we jump into the scripture, let's pray. Fathers, we uh, come before you. I pray that your words, that they would pierce our hearts, or that we would uh, and take seriously what your command is for us as believers, as part of the body of Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would speak in only the way that you could speak, move in the only way that you can move. But Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So Friday night after uh, our walkthrough practice, we'd head back to the dorm, throw a hoodie on, some sweats, grab our pillow, and then we'd hit Whole Foods. Whole Foods had like the best deli around, and so we would hit Whole Foods, get one of their giant deli sandwiches, a bag of chips, and then we'd hit Rite Aid, get like a gallon of water and uh, the Rite Aid brand of Pedialyte, because it's like $5 cheaper. And... uh, Parents know. Um, and we would buy a Pedialyte, and then we would head back to campus. We'd meet in our kind of theater film room uh, where, the, where the team would gather to watch film. Uh, but on Friday nights, this was where we would have movie night as a team. Our coaches had movie night every Friday night before our game to make sure nobody was going out the night before the game. The movies were picked by a different coach each week. About 90% of them I would not recommend to your children. Um, <laughs> I do not understand some of the reasons, like we watched some movies that had nothing to do with getting you excited to play a football game, but this was the movie they picked. We'd watch the movie, go back to our dorm, Saturday morning, 8 a.m. was breakfast. Now, I was the type of person that could not eat breakfast before the game. I was too nervous. It's the same way we like before I preached. Like my, not, my stomach is in knots, I'm too nervous, uh, and so I just can't eat anything before the game. And so we'd have team breakfast where I sat there doing nothing, and then I would go to the training room. In the training room, I'd get stretched out, any treatment I needed, uh, get myself ready for the game, get taped up, head out to the field. There was two wide receivers that I always warmed up with, Jesse and DH. Play catch with those two guys, warm up my arm, we'd run, we'd stretch, back into the locker room, put all the football gear on, back out for team warm-ups, and then it was kickoff time. And this is what we waited for, right? This was all the summer workouts, all the spring ball workouts, all the morning lifting and the film and the practices was just for this moment. It was game time. Man, I miss game time. I miss, it was, it, there was something different about it. As soon as the ball was kicked off, it was like, okay, here we go. I miss playing the game. Last Saturday, I had the opportunity to go to the Missouri versus Georgia game at University of Georgia and uh, there was 93,000 fans in this stadium. 93,000 people, and uh, the de- they had a decibel reader. Never went under 100. People just going bonkers for like three hours. And as I participated in this and watched this, it kind of clicked to me. 
we in the stands think if we yell more and yell louder, it's going to affect the outcome of the game. Right? Like, like any wives want to admit that their husband's the guy that yells at the TV on Saturday or Sunday? I know you're lying. There's no way I'm the only one. Right? Has anyone broken a TV? Anyone broken a TV when their team lost? No, still no one wants to admit that. I heard somebody told me after first service, they almost broke theirs yesterday. Um, they're an Oklahoma fan, Baylor beat Oklahoma. Um, but, right, so, but, but as fans, we get this like thing in our mind. Like if I yell at the TV more, if I yell at the game more, it'll affect the outcome. And players do fans like the courtesy of like, yeah, you make the atmosphere better. But like, we don't really have an effect on the game. You know, no matter how much I yell does not determine if that pass is gonna be a completion or not does not change the fact of how they're playing. And I sat there watching 93,000 people yelling, going crazy. And I started to think, the church looks like this. There's a lot of believers that are sitting in the stands cheering, but not actually in the game. You see, you are gifted if you are a believer in Christ, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is inside of you, living inside of you, and has gifted you with spiritual gifts on purpose and gifted you with these gifts for everybody, for the body, for the church, that actually we need your gifts. And so today we're going to look at spiritual gifts. And I'm not going to talk about here's a list of them and here's what each one is. No, the reason for today is what are you, why do you have spiritual gifts and how are we supposed to live them out? What is the purpose of us having spiritual gifts? Because I think there's a lot of us sitting in the stands with the shirt on and the hat on that looks exactly like the team, but we never put a uniform on in a part of the game. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Here's the first thing. Your spiritual gift is not for you. It's not for you. Verse four says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Paul says there's a variety of gifts, but they're for the common good. They're not for you. They're for everybody else. You have a gift, not for you, but for everybody else, that actually your gift is to build up the body of Christ. In Romans 1:11, he says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. When he says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, here's what he's saying. He says, I long to see you, that I may use my gift to strengthen you. I can't wait to see you so I can use the gifts God has given me to, to, to strengthen your faith. He knew that his spiritual gifts were not for him, but for the body of Christ. And notice how he says, man, that we may be mutually encouraged. He also knew that he needed their gifts to strengthen him. That it wasn't just him strengthening them or him encouraging them, but he actually depended and needed the body of Christ to use the spiritual gifts that God had given them for himself. One of the greatest joys in ministry is seeing, God, uh, seeing people learn, understand, realize how God has equipped them, the gifts he has given them, and then using them the way God wants to use them. It's awesome. I get a front row seat 
to the greatest story in all of history and watching God, God use people to grow his kingdom for his glory. It's one of the greatest joys in ministry is to watch God use you. To understand spiritual gifts is a God-given and empowered ability to serve him in ways that benefit others. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're to be stewards of the gifts. We're not to hoard the gifts. We don't own the gifts. They're not for you. They're for everybody else. We are to be good stewards of the gifts that God has given us. I remember the first time I saw a full-service gas station. Uh, I grew up in San Diego, California. In San Diego, there was like no full-service gas station. In college, we were playing a team in Oregon, and we pull up to this gas station, and they have a sign that says, you can't pump your gas. And so I'm on the bus, like, so what do you do? I had some buddies that were from Oregon. I was like, yo, what's going on here? They're like, no, no, like, they have guys that, that pump your gas. They have guys that wipe your, you know, wash your windows. They have guys that do everything. And I'm like, huh? He's like, yeah. He's like, it's a full-service gas station. I was like, oh, never, never seen one of those before. Because what, what we have is the self-service, right? Like you pull up to the gas station, you get out, pump your own gas. You want the windows washed, you wash your windows, right? Like it's on you, it's self-service. I think most people, most Christians treat church like a self-service gas station. Show up on Sundays, fill it up by the worship and the message and take off. Show up the next Sunday when our tank is empty and fill back up never actually being part of the full service of the church. See, I think God intends his church to be a full service with each member providing for the well-being of others. Our gifts have been given, not to be hoarded, but our gifts have been given so that they will be given. In every area of our life, if you think about it, the American dream is for us to own everything. Right, the American dream, own your house, own your car, own your property, own your business, own, 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 own. Right, think about it. Uh, if, 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 if people talk about uh, someone that rents a house instead of owns their house, there's almost like this negative stigma about the fact that, well, you rent, you don't own. Right, everything in the American context is to own. And everything in that context is opposite of what Scripture teaches us. We are always called to be good stewards. The Genesis story, Adam and Eve, God places them in the garden. And what does he do? Steward the garden, cultivate it, take care of it, be fruitful, be fruitful and multiply, cultivate humanity. It is never to own the garden. It was always to take care of what is given to you, to use it. It's a gift to be given. It was never for us to own our gifts. See, as we look at the gifts we must also understand that no gift is better than the other. Verse 12 goes on and says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Notice, not one believer has all the gifts. It says, listen, this person has this gift, this believer has this gift, this believer has this gift, this believer. There are different gifts for different believers. We don't get to pick our gifts, and it does not tell us that actually one gift is better than the other gifts. 
Instead of one person having a monopoly on all of the spiritual gifts, we are now dependent on one another for the exercise of the gifts. Skip down to verse 17. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Although there are many, many different parts of the human body, each is extremely important. In the body of Christ, our different gifts are extremely important to God's design for his church. There's unity in our uniqueness. Understand, if we all had the same spiritual gift, it'd be uniformity. If we all had the same spiritual gifts, we would no longer be dependent on someone else's spiritual gifts. There's actually unity in the fact that we have different gifts. It brings us together. We become dependent on one another, now operating like a body. I, uh, I recently took this. Check out. The, it'll be up on the screen. Check out this graph. I had to take a spiritual gifts test. Uh, in a class that I'm taking. So there's my spiritual gifts. You can see them up there. You can see the ones that are, are, are my gifts and the ones that definitely aren't. Uh, mercy was not a shocker for me. Um, I'm not the most empathetic person. I think I'd be a terrible hospital chaplain. I would struggle with somebody that was dying uh, from liver failure or something, but for 50 years drank a bottle of whiskey every single day. I would struggle with empathy with that. Mercy was not a shock to me. I have prayed for five years for God to make me more empathetic. It is not my natural bend. I know what my spiritual gifts are. I know what they are. But here's the thing. is now when you see my spiritual gifts, here's the danger with that. We start playing the comparison game. We start looking and comparing your gifts to mine or your gifts to someone else. And we either say, man, I wish I had that gift because that gift is better than my gifts. Or we start saying, my gifts are better than their gifts. We start doing this, right? The comparison game. That's nothing new to our culture. We compare our success to others, our marriage to others, our family to others, our appearance to others. We, we compare our faith to others. We compare our spiritual gifts to others. And there's a danger when we start doing that. See, I think when we start becoming either envious or jealous or wish we had other gifts, here's what we start saying. God, if you would have given me this gift, it would have been better for the body of Christ. The truth is what you're saying is, God, if you would have, been, if you would have given me this gift, it would have been better for me. We don't pick our spiritual gifts. We don't choose. Actually, it is God who says, I am gifting you with this. It's on purpose understands he knows what you need more than you do. And more importantly, he knows what the body of Christ needs more than you do. Here's our final thing. The church is not at its best without you. We're not. The body of Christ is not at its best without you. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. The same way the entire human body, internal and external, is one body working together for the betterment of the body. The church is at its best when each believer, each one of us are allowing the Holy Spirit to use us with the gifts he has given us. Too many believers are detached from the church. And I don't mean detached by not showing up. I mean showing up but not part of the body. It's like when your foot falls asleep. You know when your foot falls asleep? Like you don't know until you go to stand up, right? 
And then you take that step and it just like flops, right? Like you're like, what? It's like turning different ways. You have zero control over your foot, right? You got to walk somewhere and it's just kind of dragging behind you. You know, like you look foolish, right? You, you, you got somewhere to go, but you can't get there quick enough. You're not really being efficient. Your foot's not doing what it's supposed to do. I think the same thing happens in the church. When believers in the church, in the body of Christ, are not allowing God to use the gifts that he has given us the way he wants, the church starts operating with a limp or a sleep foot. And we start being drugged around. I don't think that's what God wants to do with the church. When every believer is not using their spiritual gift for the benefit of others, the result is both the believer and the church lose out on the blessings God intends. He intends for us to look like a body of Christ, and the body of Christ would be like a, an Olympic sprinter. Anybody remember Michael Johnson, the Olympic sprinter, gold medalist? Like, dude ran one of the Olympics in, like, gold medal shoes, spikes, right? Like, it was dope. Um, and as you, you know you fly if you show up to the Olympics and you got gold on your cleats. Like, yeah, I'm going to win gold. But if you watched him run, they've done science on this, like the, the, the mechanics to his running. Like, it, it was poetry in motion. There was no doubt you watched him run. His body was doing, every part of the body was doing exactly what they were supposed to do for him to go and win gold medal. 100%. It was like, you watched, like, even the angle of his foot, like, when your foot comes up, it's not supposed to be down, it's supposed to be, like, flex like this. Like, every little detail so he could go win gold. And you'd watch him run, and it was like, man, it's like watching a machine just operate perfectly. I think God wants, he desires for the body of Christ, for each one of us to be using our spiritual gifts for the betterment of the body so that we're looking like that. Understand, if he has brought you to Life Church, and you're a believer in God, and he's brought you to Life Church, he has gifted you. You have a gift given by God, and his desire was that it would be that you live that gift out the way he wants for the betterment of the body. And so, so, so you may be wondering, okay, what are my spiritual gifts? How do I even use those gifts? If you don't know how to use your spiritual gifts, please come talk to us. Please. The whole uh, uh, pastor's job, equip the, the saints for the work of the ministry, part of our job is to help you figure out how God has wired you and to use that for the glory of his name. If he has brought you to Life Church and you are not using the gifts that he has given you, and the reality is, is we're not operating the way God has called Life Church to operate. We are not impacting our city, our country, and our world the way God wants us to because we're not all part of the body. But here's the thing is you need to know how you're equipped. Okay, you need to know how God has equipped you, how to serve him. What are the spiritual gifts? There's a lot of different kind of spiritual gifts tests out there. Be careful of what you take. Uh, if you really want the one that I had to take for my class, you can send me an email. I'll send you the PDF or Word document, and you can take it. Here's the thing. When you take those tests, the assessments, don't take them and answer them so you can get the gift you want to get. <laughs> All right, that's funny, but it's true. Okay, there's something about operating in the gift that God has given you. When you operate in the spiritual gift God has given you, it's life-giving. There is no doubt for me, when I'm operating in the spiritual gifts God has given me, there's a different moment for me with the Holy Spirit of going, man, 
this is why you created me. This is how I'm supposed to bring your name glory. Operating outside of that becomes pretty tiring. So answer them honestly so you can figure out exactly how God has gifted you. Once you figure out how you are gifted, you then prayerfully need to understand how does God want to use that gift? So so let me give you some examples. Hospitality. Some people have the gift of hospitality and are like, okay, I only open up my home. That's all I do. Well, you could live that gift out or God may want to use that gift through you on our greeting team. You have the amazing ability that every single person that shows up just feels like your best friend or they're your family. Like, and they're walking in with all these people in this room, but man, they saw you and you just made them feel like it was just you two hanging out. Like you have that gift of making people feel welcome and loved and known. Maybe the hospitality gift is for you to open up your home for a life group. And you have the amazing ability, man, again, to open up your home and make people feel comfortable for a life group to happen. Our desire at Life Church would be every partner and believer at Life Church would be in a life group. The problem with that is our life groups get capped off between 10 and 15 people typically. And we don't have enough life groups for all the believers to be in a life group. And so we're kind of lacking with life groups. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. Maybe your gift is teaching. But you think only time you teach is up here on Sunday like what I'm doing right now. But we have a whole bunch of preschool and elementary school kids over there learning about God right now from a bunch of adults who are teaching them about the Bible. Praise God for those people. Or maybe it's in our youth group on Tuesday night or Wednesday night and teaching them. Or maybe it's in a life group. Or maybe it is, here's how we're dependent on each other. The teaching person is terrible with hospitality. So we partner you with somebody with the gift of hospitality to where now the teacher leads the study, but the hospitality gift is the one opening the home. You see how we become dependent on each other's gifts? It is not, well, I don't have that gift, so I just don't use it. No, I'm dependent now on somebody else's gifts. Maybe your gift is evangelism, but your evangelism isn't standing up and on a stage in front of a bunch of people. Maybe your gift of evangelism is lived out one-on-one conversations over coffee, six months of a year, having conversations that you lead somebody to Christ. It's one thing to know what your gift is. It's another thing to understand how God wants to use and exercise that gift in you. So again, if you don't know how to use your gifts, please talk to us. We would love to figure out how God has wired you, how he has gifted you, and how God wants to use that for his glory, for his kingdom. Next thing is, is you got to submit. You may have a gift and you may have an idea of how you want to use that gift, but that may not be the way God wants to use it. You have to submit and surrender and go, God, how you want to use my gift is how I will do it. Now, here's what I know. I know there's some of you in here going, yeah, cool, got a spiritual gift. Yeah, great, I should use it, cool. I got no time. I'm busy. Work is crazy. My kids got a crazier schedule than I got. We have all these commitments, all these things to be at, and and I'm just too busy. First thing is, is Sunday morning is not the only place for you to use your spiritual gifts, okay? This is not the only place. This is a place, 100%. And we should be serving and using our gifts on Sundays. But it is not the only place. But for those that say, I am just too busy, I'm going to ask you a question. You know, because Jesus oftentimes asks people questions. How important is it for you to disciple your children? 
Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. As parents, we are called to disciple our children. It is my job with my three children to disciple my kids, to know, love, and be obedient to Christ. Obedience is part of the discipleship. It is my job. I am, I am beyond thankful, forever for eternally grateful for the people and the adults that pour into my kids' life on Sundays and on, on, when they go at the preschool that are showing them the love of God, teaching them the Bible, teaching them stories and scripture. But it is my job to disciple my kids. It is not the church's. The church gets my kids one hour, hour and a half max on Sunday. It is my job as dad, spiritual headship of the household to disciple my children. That is on me. See, the way we live our lives shows our children how important Christ is to us. Do we serve Jesus? Do we serve others? Do we use our gifts for the betterment of the body to, do, to grow the body? Do we use our gifts even when we're tired and busy? My wife and I, we have a, a life group on Monday night, and then we have the college and young adult group on Thursday nights at our house. At least every other week, on one of those days, I wake up and tell my wife, Let's cancel. <laughs> Being honest. About 20 minutes go by. She says, are we canceling? Yes. Another 20 minutes go by. So are we canceling? No. Because what happens, it's, it's oftentimes on Thursday nights. Because here's what happens. You know, like young adults, they're like 18 to 25 range. They have no sense of like time. You know, like they can function on like three or four hours, keep going, right? They drink Dutch Bros like it's an IV in their arm, you know? And, and so Thursday nights doesn't start till seven. Guaranteed is going till 11. Thursday morning, I'm exhausted and I just think I'm going to be up till 11. But in that 40 minutes in the morning when I want to cancel, my four-year-old daughter and my two-year-old son will walk into the room. Daddy, are we having worship tonight? Yeah, we're, we're going to have worship. And they're so excited. They love worship. They get to stay up about an hour, hour and a half past their bedtime just so they can have worship. Just so they can be a part of the worship. My kids, my wife and I, we made the decision before we got married that, that if we had kids, they would see obedience to what God has called us to do, no matter what, no matter where that took us, no matter what that meant for our lives, no matter if that meant how, you know, we, we had to move to another country, no matter what, we were going to be obedient to what God had called us to do, and our kids were going to be a part of it and see it. So our kids do ministry with us. They see mom and dad are tired. We have to get up at 4 a.m. the next morning for a flight, but we're going to be up till 11 with these kids. And we're going to open up our home. And we're going to love them. We're going to be a part of their lives, and they're going to be a part of our lives. Our kids see our obedience no matter what. My second question is what rules your calendar Every top leader in the, in the world, every top leadership book talks about the fact that something owns your calendar. And what owns yours? Is it your work? 
Is it your children's extracurriculars? Is it their sports? Is it their schedule? Is it your events and your schedule? Some of you, what owns your schedule on Sunday mornings is your fantasy football team. Or what owns Saturday is college football. What owns your schedule? What owns your calendar? Does Jesus have a say at all in your calendar? I had uh, some of my best friends growing up, Lance and Lawrence. They were brothers. Lance and Lawrence, we played travel basketball together. Right? We'd, we'd play in Vegas. We'd play all over the place. Um, Lance and Lawrence were the best basketball players on our team. And when I was growing up, any game on Sunday before noon, we knew Lance and Lawrence wouldn't be at the game, which when they're your best players, that, that's not ideal, right? That's not great. I remember asking their mom, Miss Sandra, I said, hey, how come Lance and Lawrence don't come to the games before noon on Sundays? She said, well, we got to go to church. And so I thought I had a good question, right? What about their commitment to the team, Miss Sandra? And she looked me dead in my eye. Our commitment to Jesus is more important than a commitment to anything else. And at 12, I was like, "Eh, pretty good answer. (laughs) (laughs) But now, being an adult, playing sports, having kids, I understood she was discipling her children to know that their obedience and commitment to God And so what he has called us to do as believers was more important than any team you could play for everything. And and, and people make the argument, well, my kid's got to be at all these tournaments and all these stuff to be, to go to college. Lance missed, I don't know how many of our Sunday basketball games because of church. Lance ended up playing basketball at University of Miami as a point guard there and ended up having a professional basketball career for about a decade in, in Australia. But his mom made sure he knew You love God more than you love your sports. See, I know you have work. I know your kids have commitments. I know that there's this important life lesson that you honor your commitments. But my question is, are we setting the example or precedence that those are more important than Jesus and our obedience to him? We're a little bit over a month away from uh, the new year, right? So we start getting the new year's resolutions. Right, and then we'll, we'll get the very common ones. I need to eat healthier. I need to work out more. I need to lose weight. Uh, stop watching so much Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever it is. Stop being on my social media so much. Right, you get the normal ones that last all of like 30 days max. But what if our New Year's resolution as believers actually meant something for the body of Christ? What if our, what if our New Year's resolution actually meant something for the kingdom of God. Like my New Year's resolution is to surrender to Christ. Or my New Year's resolution is to submit to how the Holy Spirit has gifted me and to allow him to work through me. Or my New Year's resolution is to be part of the body of Christ the way scripture commands me to. What if my New Year's resolution was, my New Year's resolution is to just be obedient to God. Whatever he wants, however he wants. His will, not mine. Understand, man, we need you. Not just, not just life, church. The body of Christ needs you. The person to your left, to your right, to the front, to the back, the person online, we need you. We need you. You're gifted on purpose. And he has you in this place at this time on purpose. It is not by accident. 
You may feel like you just stumbled and happened to find Life Church, but no, he has you here for a reason. And we need you. I need you. My children need you. I need my children to see the body of Christ and go, wow, that's what church is. I need my children to see, not just from mom and dad, but from other believers, this is what it looks like to live obedient to God. This is what it looks like to worship God. This is what it looks like to love Jesus more than my own life. I need the church to show my kids, this is what it looks like. We have gone on too long sitting in the stands watching the game. And here's Jesus's invitation. Get out of the stands, put the uniform on, and get in the game. The game we are playing is the biggest game in all of history. It is life and death. And when the body's operating, we're using our spiritual gifts the way God wants us to use our gifts. We start to win souls back to God. We start to see restoration in marriages and families. We start to see God move and restoration in our city, in our country, in our world. God starts to move. And it's amazing because he doesn't need us, but he goes, I want to use you. I want to use you. And I've given you a gift. Please just let me use it in you. I had this thought of what it would look like to get to heaven. You're a believer, you're getting in. But if God showed you, hey, you never let me use your gifts. Here's all the people that were affected by you not using your gifts. These are all the people that don't know me. Or on the flip side of that, and you let me use your gifts. I gave you these gifts and you use it the way I wanted to use it. Look at all the people that are sons and daughters now. Would I have a good reason to not use my gifts? Would I have a good reason to hoard them? Would I have a good reason to not be part of the body of Christ? Let's pray. Father, I am. Lord, we come before you and uh, I ask that you would speak to us, that you would reveal how you have gifted us and how you want to use those gifts. And Lord, give us the heart to surrender to you. Lord, I pray that as we use our gifts, that we would see people, souls one, back to you, creation back to creator. Sons and daughters, come to know you as father. Lord, I pray that in everything we do here at Life Church, Sunday mornings, our worship night, the ministries that happen, Lord, our life groups, that everything we do, you get the honor and glory and praise because you are holy. You are sovereign. You are God. It is in your son Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.